What's going on, wrestling fans? Welcome into the show. I wanted to take some time out and talk to you today about my good friend Chris Cars over at SwitchCustomApparel.com. Switch Custom Apparel is your one-stop shop for all your business and promotional needs. Chris is personally working with me to help build my t-shirt for this very podcast. Chris is an awesome guy to work with, and he can help you with any of your promotional, logo, or embroidery needs. Reach out to him on switchcustomapparel.com or reach out to me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, and I will put you in touch with Chris. That is all for now. Let's get right to the show. What's going on, everyone? Welcome into Near Falls with D. Hall, a wrestling podcast. Here we go. What's going on, wrestling fans? Welcome into another edition of Near Falls with D. Hall, a wrestling podcast. Joining me today, as always, is Mr. Mark Bono, my co-host, my co-pilot, my numbers man. Super excited to have him back, as always. And the feature guest helping us recap the craziness that was the NCAA tournament. All-American, Mr. Mason Beckman. Mason, how you doing, brother? Doing well, fellas. How about yourselves? No complaints here, man. All good. <laughs> yeah, for real. No complaints. Just, you know, it's so tough to, you know, divulge and digest and get ready to talk about Everything that was the NCAA tournament, and there were so many different storylines and so much controversy this year. I feel like more so than years past. And, you know, I think that, you know, as traditionally, we need to start at 125 and work our way up, and we need to start at the top of 125. Spencer Lee wins the tournament, and then he drops an epic promo after the tournament saying he has no ACLs (laughs) and that excuses are for wusses. Absolutely ridiculous. Lost in the sauce of 125 that, you know, besides Spencer, anyone was anyone. And it was kind of up for grabs and it was super cool. Um, but, man, what a tournament for Spencer to pretty much win it on no knees. Mason, what are your thoughts? It's crazy, man. I mean, Spencer, it's like there's so many cliches that apply to him, you know, whether you want to call him a glitch in the Matrix or whatever else, right? The He's – He's just special, um, has been for a long, long time, and will continue to be continue to be that guy. Um, probably the most dominant guy I've ever seen on top, um, maybe in that conversation for the most dominant guy we've ever seen on top, certainly in our lifetimes, right? Yeah. Um, as far as the ACL stuff, it, it's crazy. First of all, I feel for him. Um, dude keeps tearing ACLs left and right, seemingly, which just sucks. Um it's just a shame anybody's got to go through that, let alone somebody like Spencer. But beyond that, uh, it's interesting because in terms of who could ever be equipped to handle wrestling with a torn ACL, let alone two of them, um, I think Spencer's style in a grand scheme of things, right? Like no style is super conducive to wrestling with no knees. But a guy like Spencer who's so controlled, everything is – not that he doesn't create angles, but everything's pretty straightforward, right? He's not a huge lateral motion kind of guy. Um, I think that's one of the only saving graces to it that allows him to do it, right? If you get somebody – like if RBY tears an ACL, 
he can't do the vast majority of what makes him who he is, right? What makes him special. And that's not, and I mean, th th this is not saying it's any less incredible. It just, if you're going <laughs> to, if you're going to have to for wrestle a style with a torn ACL, um, the saving grace for Spencer is that he's already kind of in that realm, right? Everything's very controlled, um, very methodical. But at the end of the day, it's unbelievable. Um, you know, the interview afterwards was very Spencer. It's just kind of matter of fact, like, I didn't really want to say this, but I'm here. So um, drops it like it's just another thing. And we'll see. It'll be interesting to see how it goes here in a week and a half in Fort Worth at the trials, assuming he competes, which I'd be floored if he doesn't. Um, but, yeah, it's just it's another day at the office for Spencer. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Spencer uh, took care of business like you expected. Um, I will say I that's an awesome take. I didn't think about from that from a style perspective, from an ACL. That's really cool. Glad that we have uh, you on for – just that kind of stuff, man. It's really cool. From you're just such a technician. It's cool, but uh, nothing me fanboying. Um, going on to other things that happened in 125. Um, I, I, the, other than kind of the same old stuff, Spencer. Uh, other big names that didn't uh, AA like we expected them to. Any thoughts on that, Mason? Camacho is the one that kind of jumps out. Um, wrestled so well all years. Only losses were Latona, both of which were wild barn burners um and you know he loses in the quarters and what's not a super surprising result both of those guys were really really good somebody had to lose right so he drops down in a, in a killing card now which kind of feeds another storyline right so he drops down into card now um and loses in the second set of rideouts if memory serves so he loses a just an awesome bout between two really good guys in card now um a victim, one of those guys that was a, a victim of being really underseated because he relatively struggled to start the year, and then you don't have the body work to make up for it, right? So, like, you know, Flynn said in an interview or, or somewhere and maybe tweeted it out, but he was just like, hey, you know, a lot of people lost faith after he had a rough start to the year. We didn't. Kid's really good. Um, so he beats Camacho in a result that, if you just look at seeds, it's surprising. If you look at who they are, as wrestlers and body work over their careers, not terribly surprising. Um, so Camacho is the one that stands out to me. And then again, you feed into Cardinal and that's first, that's Flynn's first all American at WVU. Right. So mm -hmm. um, he has Peyton Hall losing around a 12, uh, Noah Adams and Ryan Sullivan wrestling both on Friday. So they've got a lot to build on there, but that's, that's kind of the first break of the dam um, for Flynn and what I think we all expect and what really looks like a, a bright future at WVU. Other than that, not necessarily guys missing the podium, but interesting things. A lot of us, myself included, expected Latona to make the finals. Uh, Taylor Lamont wrestled really well. Uh, Lamont, and, and he's another guy that didn't get a ton of attention between short season. He's in a, essentially a non-existent media spot in Utah Valley, right? Like, Right. Yeah, there's no one out there. No, nah, man. Um so there's just not. And a he was at 33 last year or years ago, and then he's back down at 25. Correct. So he's obviously a big 33 or a big yeah. 25. I'm sorry. Yeah. So he's bounced back and forth between weights. Um, you know, if we're being totally honest, Greco guys like Lamont don't get the love that they deserve. Right, wrong, or in between. That's just the nature of the beast. Um, I mean, I shouldn't say right, wrong, or in between. That's not fair, but it's the reality of things right now. So Lamont comes in, wrestles awesome. Um, 
I want to say four pointed or maybe six pointed Lamont early and just wrestled a smart match from there on out to, to hold up Lamont. I th what did Lamont end up seventh? I think. Um, yeah. Lamont you know, plays fifth actually. Okay. Fifth. So, you know, even on the backside not like Lamont wrestled poorly, the weight was just a lot more level right. after Spencer than I think a lot of people, again, myself included, I did. I thought Lamont was kind of, even though him and Camacho have been super close twice, um, I thought Lamont was cleanly the next best guy. And that obviously proved to not be the case past that. Pat McKee wrestled awesome. Um, yeah. I think Pat McKee is a 15 seed to come back and say third is really something that, you know, it's kind of interesting. And he's the type of guy that is, you know, he's either winning a lot in big matches or he's losing. He's really on the cups. And, you know, as we move into the 133 pound class, you know, I think that this weight class is super interesting and the fact that, you know, it was really headlined by two guys and then a third fiddle, which the third fiddle was Austin DeSanto, and he's a lightning rod, right? You have Dayton Fix, who who made his return, uh, uh, I believe it was Valentine's Day this year, off a of suspension, uh, comes back, and, it, you know, there's rumors that he wants to pin everyone. He's decking everyone in the tournament. He looks fantastic. RBY on the other side, he looks fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, you know, DeSanto takes out the Philippi um, and a great, you know, he looks fantastic in the quarterfinal. Uh, this weight class is really interesting. Um, obviously, it headlined by the final of RBY taking out Dayton Fix in a great match. Um, Mark pointed out something very interesting, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Mason and Mark, I'll steal your, your your statistic here. Do you think that the fact that Dayton is probably training for freestyle impacted his loss to RBY? Dayton got ridden for two minutes. RBY, RBY was out in under ten seconds. Um, I don't know. It's 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 hard to say. I mean, it definitely doesn't necessarily help, right? But at the same time, as good as Fix has always been on top, you don't lose that feel. Um, that's a guy that's been dominant on top for a long time. Really good boot guy. I, I think so fix on top. I think RBY is a great whistle start guy. He does a really good job of sealing right away. I think RBY just beat him on the whistle. Um, I, I just think Roman did a great job and did what he needed to do and kind of the same, same thought process when you flip it. Penn State across the board Saturday night and in general, but Saturday night especially, they wrestled to game plans unbelievably well. Their guys competed really loose. They didn't necessarily shoot a thousand times like we've, we may have been used to in the past. But RBY was very evident from the jump. Um, and again, this is indicative of all four of their finalists, but knew exactly what he was trying to do from the start. Like, hey, we have carved out. This is how we win this match. And that was part of it. And we can dive down the rabbit hole of what is and isn't stalling, what is and isn't called stalling. Um, and that is it's a like, rabbit hole. <laughs> oh, my God. It, it, dude, it's like a catch in the NFL. Oh, um, Lord. It's a nightmare. But, you know, RBY, that ride of sitting on an ankle and everything and staying par relatively parallel, I don't hate him for doing it. It's incredibly smart. It's extremely safe. It is aggravatingly hard to get out of as the bottom guy. And it, it won him a national title, let's be real, right? And the officials in the finals, I thought, certainly in that bout, called more stalling than they had all weekend. Um, I actually thought 
I thought the stall calls were deserved on RBY. The first two, at least the third one back and out of bounds was, was rough. Um, but the first two were deserved, but the pro you know, the problem I think all of us had was it's like, well, that hasn't happened all weekend. So it hasn't happened all weekend and it certainly hasn't happened all season. So why on the stage now when officials ask athletes all year, you know, whenever, whatever rule changes are made, like you got to adjust to them. Right. So everybody, there's like this breaking in period of how things are called each year. Hands to the face is a great example um, in what was just the most absurd rule interpretation ever made. But but we didn't have that this year, Mason. We didn't have that adjustment period because there was guys coming into the, the, the Big 12, Big 10, ACC tournament with four or five matches. You know what I mean? Right. But, but point being, we got all the way to the national finals. And, you know, as an athlete, as a coach, as a fan, right, we all have like an internal clock, like almost an internal radar for when a stall call is coming, when something is coming. And everybody, generally speaking, we all fe start to feel it like, okay, something's going to happen here at the same time. And then in the finals, it got turned on its head. And that, to me, that was the issue I had. I actually liked the stall calls in a vacuum, but because they hadn't been called all year, it's like, well, now you're completely screwing the athletes up seemingly just to do it. Right, right. Or maybe they check Twitter between rounds. I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> Mark, uh, what are your thoughts on 133? Obviously highlighted by the fix, uh, you know, RBY match. But there was obviously some great, you know, uh, matches on the backside. DeSanto kind of loses his mind. And that's kind of a, a storyline in itself that, you know, this everyone kind of thought that DeSanto had his problems figured out from the past that Drexel. He kind of slips up a little bit, you know. Um, but what are your thoughts on 133 here, Mark? I mean, what again, it's a uh, great finals. Everyone was super excited about that. For me, the one that really stuck out was uh, Lucas Bird. Uh, came back, wrestled tough, um, uh, finished fifth. Uh, he had a really tough match against uh, Mickey Phillippe. I mean, he, he wrestled it well, but uh, that's that was a guy that I was really excited about going into the tournament. I think he wrestled well. A lot of great uh, wrestling as usual. Another guy, Louis Hayes, uh, really impressed me. I don't get to watch a lot of Virginia wrestling in general. ACC has their little deal. Um, but, geez, he was just really explosive, a fun guy to watch. Mason, is there any other uh, guys that you watched during the tournament that's just like, oh, look out for that guy in the future or just like fun guy to watch, anything like that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, just to echo, you hit the the two main guys I was going to say. Lucas Bird was a massive recruit coming out of high school. Um, ends up at Illinois after originally committing to Maryland, but he's growing into the guy that a lot of, that people thought he would be, right? Like you're starting to see it really click. And it's funny because we talked we touched on Pat McKee. You're seeing that with Pat McKee too, right? Like McKee at 25, it looked like as the weekend progressed, McKee was has always been that home run hitter. And then over the weekend, it was like he found that right balance of wrestle what's in front of you. And when somebody tees it up, attack it. Right. And when you get a dude that's got home run ability, like McKee does not to go wait, you know, not to go back too much, but you saw that with McKee and you've seen that with bird in the last couple months where bird isn't the home run hitter, but bird is that grinder. And he's that really, He's just tough. tenacious. As Yeah, he's tough. He's got that tenacity that, that you can't teach, right? So he stays in the fight, and you can see him just figuring it out the way that elite kids and special kids do. Um, so Bird was really impressive. 
His win over Philippi, I think, goes a long way for a lot of reasons. I mean, just cracking that nut the first time, especially against a guy like Mickey. Louis Hayes looked great. Um, super fun guy to watch. You said you haven't gotten to see him much. Go back and watch oh. film on him because it's awesome, dude. He shoots a thousand times a match. Um, <laughs> they don't go after anything. Like he just it, it goes, man. Doesn't matter. It's awesome. I love. He's one of my favorite guys to watch. Um, the other guy is McGee from Arizona State. So twenty-five and thirty-three. You get Old Dominion transfers. Old Dominion makes love the absurd it. decision to drop their program for absolutely no real reason last year. Administration claim whatever they want. There was no legitimate reason to drop it. And you have two Old Dominion transfers who had the rug pulled out from under them who end up on the podium the next year for different programs, um, especially with an Old Dominion alum on the mic and Jason Bryan in the arena, right? So you've got a lot of, you know, back-to-back -back there that night, Friday night. Um, it was pretty cool to see both McGee for Arizona State and, you know, we talked about Cardinal at 25. So – uh, those are the guys. DeSanto, um, whatever didn't didn't happen in the tunnels with a medial member. Um, there's a bunch of different stories floating around. I don't know. I'm not going to speculate. What I do know is it sucks because it sucks for a lot of reasons, right? You don't want to spend a ton of time on it, but he wrestled so well. It's the best That's event I've good. ever seen. He, it's yeah, the I best did. event I've ever seen him put together. He looks fantastic. Um, and, you know, he's come seemingly. And I think he has come a very long way from being, an, uh, as we all are at 18, an amateur 18-year-old and, and doing and saying some dumb stuff, right? That's not specific to him. The fact that he's got a bigger spotlight than the vast majority of us had on us is a different conversation. So um, it sucks that he's now it, – it's like so many people's perception of him is, oh, he hasn't changed at all. It's like, man, I don't think that's true because I know for a fact there's a lot of stuff I did that not many people or – Almost nobody knows about when I was 21, 22. I don't want people judging. <laughs> I think we can all man. say for that, mate. I think right. we can all say for that. And, you, you know, that's the thing. You know, Austin DeSanto, and, and that's a sad thing. The story may be, for some people coming out of this, of what happened to a media member or whatever whatever the case may be. We're not going to speculate. But it right. shouldn't it, be that. It shouldn't be. No. And the, and the thing of it is, it's not to excuse whatever happened in the tunnel, right? Like, no, I don't think any – if it was bad enough or enough of a thing that the brands felt the need to you know, say and do what they did, obviously it was a thing, and I'm sure it will be handled internally. But at the end of the day, you know, there's still a lot of good to come out of that. And, again, you don't want to judge a, I don't know, 22-year-old kid by, by that. So, no, all, all in all, 33 was awesome. It's crazy the people who don't get through um, to the podium. I mean, Mickey Phillippe, again um, – Love that kid to death. I hope he gets there someday. I think he's going to sometime. Yeah, he's he's too good not to. Oh, man. All right, so we spent enough time on 33. We need to move on. So 141, obviously this was headlined by three main guys. You know, you, at the top you had Jaden Ironman. Uh, Nick Lee was the three seed, followed by Sebastian Rivera, the, the um, three seed, and Tyreek Wilson was the four seed. And this kind of was everyone thought was a three horse race, um, but it turned out, you know, on the backside not to be true. And we'll get into that a little bit. But Nick Lee, Jay Niederman end up in the finals. Um, you know, after an incredible match, Nick Lee ends up the champion. Super fun weight class to watch. Tariq Wilson ends up getting pinned and wasn't really a pin, which is this is kind of the storyline that we're hey. going to talk about here. 
in the Iowa situation. And Mason, I know you got a lot of fire with this, so I'm excited <laughs> to bring it. He had clearly there's multiple angles. Tariq had his shoulder completely up. Yeah, obviously, you know they called the fall, and uh, you know this isn't the uh, last time we're going to bring this up in this this conversation. But Mark, your initial thoughts of 141 before we kick it over to Mason, because I know Mason's like a caged animal in this situation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think the big story for me was, uh, I mean, the, I guess the two big headliners are Nick Lee getting the job done. I think Donnie, I, I'll quote you saying, I think it was uh, three. To seven, if you took those two out of ten, so I guess that was that uh thirty percent chance for Nick yeah. Lee getting getting it done. Yeah. Uh, and then other than that, Tariq turning into old Tariq blew my mind. Um, he looks so good. It, it looked so great all year, and uh, yeah. apparently Mason's got some fire to bring about it. And let's go. Oh God! So the okay, so <laughs> the Ironman. And it's not specific to Ironman, right? It's got nothing no, to do with Jaden. No. I'm a huge Ironman fan. Um, calling Tariq pinned, what would he have eventually ended up pinned, to be honest? Because, like, knowing Ironman, yeah, probably. But that's not the point. Like, it is it is so infuriating. It drove me nuts as an athlete. It drives me nuts as a fan. Um, depending on the single, depending on who's in the corner, it drastically affects the way matches are called. Um, I understand that officials are humans too. They have a thankless job and they don't get thanked when they do an incredible job. Cause I think there's a ton of officials out there who do a fantastic job. Um, and most of them do, I think very consistently, but now people get caught up in the emotion of the moment and they want to hear the crowd go. And I think you saw that a lot this weekend. Um, so it, it's infuriating and what's even funnier. The best part about it, to be honest with you is, so I, I get to putting tweets out about this stuff and just stating what I feel in my general reactions. And I had a couple of – they weren't even anti-Iowa, right? They were pointing out that I was one of the three programs right now, the other two being Oklahoma State and Penn State, who are the beneficiaries of 50-50 calls, right? Anything that's 50-50, 60-40, maybe 70-30. Um, you know, if those three programs are involved, you know which way it's going. <laughs> you're not so, wrong you're not wrong so uh, a couple of those tweets found their way into iowa wrestling twitter and uh my mentions and dms got to be a wild place i had a lot of fun with it there for about 12 hours um <laughs> but no all told man ironman wrestled great Tariq looked awesome in that match with ironman Tariq looks great up until the sequence where ironman jammed them and stepped over right I realized it's a, it's a three-minute match the finals, uh, I think if you go back to Big Tens, as that match progresses, you could see Lee start to get a feel for him. Um, Ironman is one of those guys that you can't mimic the feel. You can't mimic the pressure. You just can't You can't have a dummy guy for what he does. So as that match goes on, you could see Lee start to get a feel for it. And back to RBY, Lee had a game plan, wrestled it great. Uh, took a massive set of stones to pull the trigger on an inside trip in that situation, mm. in the national finals in overtime. Um, but if you go back, he did something similar in the scuffle finals as a red shirting true freshman. Um, you know, I think he won the scuffle on, I want to say a double overs Polish to pin a guy in the finals, you know, oh, as an man. 18, 19 year old true freshman, right? So it's like, he doesn't shy away from it. Uh, Tariq looked awesome. Just absolutely boat raced everybody on the backside. 
Man, uh, did he look good on the backside, Mason? Holy oh. crap. 15 to 5 against Sebastian Rivera for third and fourth. Holy crap. Dude, it's nuts. And Rivera looked good. Um, Rivera all year wrestled awesome. And, and from what you see and hear out of the Rutgers camp, he's still a 33 pounder that put a little bit of size on to do what the right thing for the program. And he's that good. So that speaks volumes about both who Rivera is and how good he is. Another thing worth noting, a couple things at this weight. One, Chad Red gets on the podium again. It's like death taxes, that kid wins. And Dylan Duncan, believe it or not, Dylan Duncan is the first Montini Catholic grad to be a Division One All-American. Oh, very interesting. Yeah, would have never thought that. As good as that program's been for as long as they've been, but yeah, that, that is worthy That's of a, a shout-out. Uh, yeah, definitely. That's why. And, you know, in that weight class, and there's a couple different, you know, they get Zachary Sherman on the, uh, you know, on the podium, seventh place. Like you said, yep. Chad Red, you know, death taxes. That dude, doesn't matter what happens, just pencil him, him in to be an All-American come <laughs> every time, every <laughs> single year. It doesn't matter if he's a 15 seed, 16 seed, whatever. That dude, he'll figure it out. So moving on to the 149-pound weight class, this weight class – really was one of the more open weight classes, in my opinion, of the entire NCAA tournament. You know, and it really kind of got stolen by one match in particular, you know, and it was it, it was pretty crazy. The Blue Wellen um, versus Josh Heil match came down to a situation uh, I believe it was double overtime mm-hmm. where the clock did not start. They blew the whistle. They wrestled what was alleged to be five seconds. The clock never started. They go back to the they go back to the center. Basically, for lack of a better term, all hell breaks loose. And <laughs> then you know you got some schlup on ESPN explaining. Like, why this is the way it is. And us as wrestling fans, our mind is exploding. Like, you, you know, we're at a local tournament, at a youth tournament, and some mom or dad is running the clock. Like, this is the national <laughs> tournament. This is Division One, Mason, how does this happen? Dude, it's bad. Uh, this is almost as bad as the Ian Miller situation. Right. Uh, in 2015. And what's wild, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, so you, how many events have you guys seen over the years where something like this has happened, the clock hasn't started, they catch it and go, oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Like okay. five seconds, right? Like five seconds. Right. Right. Yeah. Co- coaches, come here. We're going to talk about this. How long do you think it was? Seven. How long do you think it was? Four. Okay, call it five. Done. Run five off and we'll restart. The other thing – the logic, the stated logic of we didn't know exactly how much time, so we couldn't take time off, is so inherently stupid. Number one, somebody clocked it, and it's like six and a half seconds. The match was over. There were seven seconds on the clock, and six ran off. The match is over. But beyond that, again, the logic of we don't know how long it was exactly, so we can't run it off. And it, per se, it's not in the rule book to run time off, you know, to time it on your phone or whatever. So it's like, well, okay then why is it that at every conference tournament in America every year we run time off the clock? I've had matches of mine at the EI, in the EIWA finals. I don't remember what year. Like you're in the conference finals of a major conference. And no, and everybody knows it's the right thing to do. Like, okay, hang on, stop. Yep, run the time off, and now we're good. Um, you know, actually, so my 
junior year in the conference semis, which the way qualifiers worked out that year at our weight was the match to go to NCAAs, right? I'm winning by one. We get a whistle start. A kid in wrestling's on bottom. The clock doesn't start on the whistle. There's like 15 seconds left or whatever. So the side judge, one of the side judge's main responsibilities when that whistle goes is to make sure the clock starts. And if it doesn't, they both yell and they start a verbal count, same way you would for back points or whatever. So in that match of mine in the EIWA semis, the side judge counts it out until the clock starts. It ends at the time it should. Match is over, right? So my question, too, is what's the side judge doing there? Why is the side judge not paying attention and counting time off? And then, once again, we have we literally have replay. Why can we not just pull out a stopwatch? It's not in the rule book per se. Like, why does common sense not apply? And and this is where back to the thing with Ironman last week. I'll, I'll bet you every dollar to my name right now that if the singlets flip, they run time off. And I don't think there's anybody that questions that. I was just going to ask you, is that, uh, is that when you sent that tweet out about uh, the singlet thing after that, after this match? Yeah. So like the Warner rain in match in round one at 97 where Warner was pinned. Oh for like, my God. Uh, yeah. So Warner was pinned. It, it is what it is. And then the stall calls and whatever else that happens round one. And then, Hyo wins a match, then they re-wrestle it and he loses, essentially, the last seven seconds. And don't get me wrong, you shouldn't get taken down in seven seconds, but that's not the point. should have never happened. Um, and yeah, again, if on one- top of that, Hyo goes on and goes to the backside, loses, doesn't All-American. Mm-hmm. Llewellyn goes in and takes fourth place in All-American. And, and, you know, Hyo has to be sitting at home, like, hitting like a freight train hit. I'm like... Holy crap, dude. And on top of that, all of this is shadowed by an awesome tournament by Austin O'Connor goes out and beats Sammy Sasso in another mm-hmm. controversial match. Uh, you know, yeah. somewhat to, not to. You know, I feel like the wrestling community is very split on this. Um, very interesting. Um, and then on top of all that, Yaya Thomas, a 25 seed, takes third. What a wild weight class, man. Whole thing was crazy. The finals, I mean, both guys wrestled well. Um, I thought Sasso played into O'Connor's match more than the other way around. I think the more action happens, it probably favors Sasso. But O'Connor did what he had to do. It's weird because I actually, I think the takedown O'Connor got was a bigger controversy than the one Sasso didn't. I thought the call that they didn't give Sasso to, I thought personally that was the right call. Grabbing a foot is not controlling it. O'Connor came up off his hip, took his knee over Sammy's arm. And I'm rooting for Sammy in that situation 10 out of 10 times. But I thought that was the right call. Because, again, putting your hand on a foot, the fact that O'Connor could drive off that foot and come up over it, to me, shows Sasso hasn't controlled the position yet. Um, But the takedown before it, when they end up in a Merkel, I thought that one was way more controversial than the one at the end, right? Like is O'Connor hooked or is his foot across the front when Sammy hits the mat, when Sammy's hand or head actually hits the mat. But that match was great. Uh, Yaya wrestled awesome. I mean, he, he should have never been the 25 seed. He was a no, casualty. He was a casualty of being in the big 10 and only in the big 10 this year. Um, but Yaya wrestled great. He, and he wasn't like sneaking by people in the backside. He was smoking people. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, yep, absolutely. He looks yeah. so good on the backside. And you know what? When when you look at 
just the way that the bracket all played out this year, a lot of that happened. The guys that were probably had losing records, you know, Yaya Thomas beat Abbas 7-1, then beat Mahler 7-4, then beat Boo Llewellyn, Boo Llewellyn 5-3 in three consecutive matches as the 25 seed. I mean, that's unheard of. That's super impressive stuff. Uh, Mark, what other thoughts do you have for 149 before we eventually move on to 157? In terms of uh, 149, I, you hit on a lot of them. The one I really like is uh, looking back at Jade Navis. What a uh, what a great season! Um, I don't know. It's a young kid. I'm excited about Jaden going forward. I think uh, a lot of things to expect from him. But uh, yeah, that that's kind of the big one for me. But I, I as exciting as 149 was, Donnie, I got to tell you, I'm way more pumped about 157 and what went on there. Let's go, Mark. Lead right into it. Right. Lead right into I would it. say, I, so the out of the gate, we got number with the first time ever. For the first time ever, we got a possible five-time champion, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right, you're right. Because he didn't use the eligibility last year, right? He's a freshman. Well, no, um, no, no. Uh, oh, did he? Yeah, because uh, Carr was it? Carr wore the single last year. Did he? All but, right, all right, but, all right. But so it's four times. You're right. You're right. You're right. Count though, right? No, but he yeah, can win. Yeah, he, no, can, yeah, he can win right. four I'm wrong there. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. We'll we'll get to our uh, potential you're good. <laughs> you're five five chance coming up. All right. So then, if that's not my big story for this one, then it's got to be Jesse Delvecchia, freaking Deacon Deacon. Absolutely. Whether uh, I mean, what a story. I mean, everyone going to this tournament thought Deacon all the way. I mean, at least. I thought for sure it was Deacon, but uh, man, Jesse Delvecchia gets it done. And then uh, the Carr Hidley match was pretty epic, but uh, Carr looked solid in the finals and got the job done. Mason, what do you think about this bracket? Yeah, I mean, so Deacon in the quarters Friday morning pulled a Houdini act to, to beat Frannick. Uh, to be honest with you, Deacon. Didn't look bad by any stretch. Just didn't look quite himself all weekend. It was interesting. I don't know if it was nerves. I mean, being the guy for two straight years, um, I'm sure it can wear on you, right? So he beats Frannick at basically at the buzzer in the quarters. And then Delvecchia, I mean, that kid's really, really – I mean, he, Delvecchia is extremely good, period. But if you allow him to get into a suck-back crab situation mm. – Mm-mm. he's super dangerous, obviously. Now everybody sees it, right? But wrestling in a non, you know, a program that's not covered a ton, you don't see in the national spotlight all that much. Delvecchi has been doing that exact thing for a while now. Um, and watching it live, you know, just having coached in the same conference and watched the kid up close a bunch. As soon as Delvecchi has sucked him back from the standing position and got him into his lap to get a count, um, you know, as soon as you could see him start to wiggle his hips out from underneath, it popped in my head like he might actually be able to pull this off. Um, and he punched it, and there was no doubt. I mean, Deacon was flat, and I think De- and I think if he needed to, Delavecchia could have pinned him for 15 straight seconds. Yeah, he was tight. He was so, super tight. Yeah, and then on the other side, you hit the nail on the head. Hydley Carr was a great match. Um, that's another one that David wrestled so well for five minutes, and then – very viv- like visibly shut it down. Um, officials didn't make him stay like stand and present in the third period from a stalling it was an perspective. RBY fix. Yeah, so it was frustrating, right? Like David, and, I mean, David was the better guy that bout. There's no question there. I don't sure. think anybody argue that. 
but just if you hit him once, because he had clearly gone into full reverse um, early, like right away in the third period. So if they, I, I just wish they had made him stand and wrestle more. Not necessarily that I think it changes that outcome, just generally speaking. Um, Hydley wrestled well, um, you know, dropping in and just getting thumped for and in the Conti semis was surprising, but Corey Teamer can do that, man. He is he looked the best he's ever looked at an Arizona State singlet. Yes, he um, did. You know, so that was I'm a huge Hadley fan, but it was good to see a guy like Teamer start to put it all together this weekend. Arizona State was kind of the story for them on weekend. They looked great. Um Caleb Young gets on the podium again. Wyatt Sheets with a busted knee shouldn't have been there. Literally all American, I think, like on the day he was supposed to have his knee reconstructed. Um, the whole thing was crazy. They literally rescheduled surgery because he got in as an alternate <laughs> and he get and he makes the podium. So it's crazy, man. It, it shows you, as always, like anything can happen if you just get there and continue to find the way to win the one in front of you. Um, it goes a really, really long way. So that weight was nuts. It was super fun. That might have been the funnest weight all weekend. And you know what's interesting, and you, and you touched briefly on Hayden Hydley before we move on to the 165-pound weight class. He actually came out on a podcast today or yesterday, uh, Wolfpack Mentality, saying that next year he is coming back. He's moving up not one, but two weight classes to 174 pounds. So obviously the weight cuts had something to do with you know, his performance, but kudos yeah. to him. He still finishes in fifth place, finds a way to All-American. Super excited to see what those, what, you know, NC State calls the Brothers of Destruction, which is kudos to them. What a cool, what they've been doing on Twitter and, and mm -hmm. has been doing on Twitter, uh, you know, to promote the program is super, super cool. So moving on to 165 pounds, you know, this weight class is super interesting, you know, the two kind of stars of the weight class, Marinelli, Makai, both drop out of the weight class and don't place. And really, Shane Griffin just runs through the weight class, shines for Stanford Wrestling with a black singlet on, puts, you know, puts the team on his back and puts it nationally. And, you know, now we've seen this week the outcry for Stanford Wrestling, save Stanford Wrestling. On top of all that, you know, all three of us are Pittsburgh guys. Jake Wenzel in the finals runs through a bracket, looks looks great besides the first match, which was super tight. Uh, my goodness, what a weight class. Uh, Mason, what are your thoughts initially? <laughs> Head right away goes to the Marinelli Griffith quarter. Right, um, right. Marinelli, it's I don't think it's a shot at him, right? Like Griffith is a title. I mean, obviously, but like anybody who pays attention knew that Griffith was good enough to win. And they saw the draws come out. Griffith is the eight. It's like, oh my God, they did it to Marinelli again with Makai a couple years ago, right? So Marinelli just came out on the short end of what probably in hindsight should have been the final. Um, and that, you know, after the match happens, right. Griffith wins a barn burner in overtime. And I had people texting me, you know, like, man, Marinelli just can't get it done. I'm like, I don't really think that's the thing. I just think Griffith is that good. And it's, yeah. it's skewed by him being the eight because he got beat by Valencia. Um, he got, he got, 
six-point moves at the beginning of the match at Pac-12s. It couldn't dig out of the hole. So, you know, Marinelli, and then he gets hurt. I don't know. I, I From say, what yeah, I understand, I think it was just bad rib. luck, man. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's, I've it's, heard it, a rib injury or. Yeah, I think rib is the most likely. You didn't see a cast on anything or whatever else in ribs, depending on how bad. Um, and again, I'm no doctor and I don't want to speculate. I just know I've torn my ribs apart before. They It is a debilitating thing. Um, so if it was a rib, I could understand why they would be forced to pull them. Other than that, you know, Makai pulling out of the bracket, he was so clearly legitimately injured. Um, it was bad. It was hard to watch. You know, the schedule match, I can't believe he made it through the schedule match, to be honest with you. You know, Zach Hartman, who, you know, Pennsylvania kid, Pittsburgh area kid, Whippeo kid. Um, it was awesome to see Zach get on the podium for the first time. That's the first All-American for Buck Nell since LaValle in over a decade. So that's a huge, huge step forward for their program. We touched on it. Jake Wenzel has looked great all year. He looked great again. He just continues to do Jake Wenzel things, right? He gets the hooks. He gets the body locks. And he does things that make no logical sense on top. Uh, Keegan O'Toole looked awesome. He is as advertised as a true freshman. Um, him and Wenzel, I would pay good money to watch those two wrestle for two hours straight. <laughs> um, you know, you so got we're another. Never, we're never going to get to see that, though, right? Jake, Jake Wenzel's done, right? No, he's coming back. Oh, is he? I thought yeah. that uh, that like thank you wrestling was like a good vibe, man. That was like uh, pretty inspirational for me, young man. That I uh, we watched grow up and wasn't so mature when he was a young man, but that thing was pretty good. I don't know if you guys caught it. Yeah, and he did a great job. You know, obviously talked about Mikey and and Nick Avazi in there, which was awesome um, for anybody yeah. that knows those stories. But yeah, Wentz was coming back. He's using the extra year, so that's exciting. Um, Let's go. Cam Amin, you got another Amin cousin and or brother on the podium for Michigan. So it's like, you know. It, it, Rance Ross repeat, right? Dude, it's like the Rappos in Pennsylvania <laughs> high school wrestling. The Amins are just going to keep coming. It's just going to be a thing. That's it. The Rappos, the Hadleys, you know, they just keep <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, in the weight class, you know, at 165 pounds, it's just crazy because you look at some of the guys that that place in this weight class, and, and Mason, you touched on it a little bit, where you um, the guys in the finals weren't even the guys who we all pegged. You know, a lot of people had Bull just going right to the finals. Valencia, as a two seed, what's he in his sixth or seventh year? He ends up in the eighth spot. You know, it's just a different weight class. Travis Waitlake as a 10 seed ends up as a four. Super interesting to see how it all played out. Um, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see this weight class next year because there's a lot of – pretty much everyone's coming back. There's a lot of mm -hmm. speculation saying Shane Griffin's going to end up at Penn State, um, which makes a lot of sense, you know, uh, for their needs and what, the, what, they, what they want. You know, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, Griffith, and you don't want to speculate, right? Because we're all hoping Stanford's program right. continues Absolutely. to exist. If he's, if he's forced to go elsewhere, who knows? He's a Stanford student, so obviously he can go to school literally anywhere on the planet. Um, would be curious to see would you know does he come back east, right? Does he come all the way from Bergen Catholic? He's a Jersey native. Does he come back home? You know, and home could mean a variety of things. Could mean, you know, Princeton, if you want to stay at a similar type of university. Could go to Princeton, could go to Penn, could go to, you know, 
go to Sebastian Rivera route, go Rutgers, um, go to Penn State, right? You know, there's there's a litany of programs, the the Cornells, the Lehigh's, the I mean, you know, you can throw Michigan in there as a super, super high caliber program and university. So again, it's a conversation I hope we never have to see play out. I agree. But I don't know. Wherever he ends up, they get a national champ with three years left to wrestle. And yeah, and it's man, he's <laughs> it's crazy. Oh man, there's so much to get into, and that's a whole like the transfer portal in its own is like a whole podcast in itself. You know what I mean? Uh, so moving on to 174 pounds before we get too far <laughs> off the rails, Carter Siraki gets it done. 174 pound freshman beats six year Michael Carter or um sorry Michael Kemmerer in the finals. What a match! <laughs> And, you know, what's kind of wild is, and I know Hawkeye Twitter went nuts over this, you know, there are a little clip that came out after that Gilman showed him what to do to beat whatever Michael Cart or Michael Kemmerer for the second time I messed that up. Michael Kemmerer did. Really interesting weight class. Um, you know, I love seeing Carter Strzokie win this weight class. I've been watching that kid for I, – I was telling my brother this. You know, I watched that kid – I took my brother to a wrestling tournament in Ridgeway, Pennsylvania, up in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and that little dude was running around just decking everyone. I've been watching that kid forever, man. He's a stud. Yeah, back in the day, the Erie Viper days, where you had Pat Heron in the corner. Yes, and, and and they wore pink singlets, right? Uh, either pink or they had pur- those purple, purple and yellow. The Rage and Raisin, Raisin singlets, right? Well, purple and yellow were the Erie Vipers ones, and then those right. bright pink and the bright green were the Raging Raisins singlets. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Back in the day, Mace. Oh, yeah. Erie boys rolling down, yep. <laughs> so, so, Mace, what do you think about this weight class? Obviously headlined by Carter Starocki winning the, the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, the finals, who was the two guys there, um, Carter winning. I was – Throwed for Carter, throwed for, you know, Mike Cassie, the entire Cathedral Prep program. That's awesome for them. They're great people. I'm a D10 native, so it's always great to see a D10 kid win. Um, you know, it doesn't happen all that often for most districts, right? It's just hard to do. Throwed for them, bummed as could humanly be for Mikey. Um, yep. It would be hard to find a better human being than Mikey Kemmerer. And yep. it just sucks, you know. I think he tensed up in the finals. I think Carter wrestled a great game plan. Got Mikey to chase a little bit and burned him when he did. Um, only needed to get him once, and he got him once. And, again, now it was a very well-wrestled match, and Carter was patient and stayed with it. It did look like Mikey tensed up a little bit. There was a little bit of the element of maybe this is the last shot. This is the first time he's been in the, the finals. You know, a lot of things, right? Understandably so. Beyond that, though, and, and – None of that was surprising, right? Like Carter winning, not shocking. Mikey obviously being in the finals isn't shocking to anybody. Um, Bernie Truax, the Cal Poly kid. So Truax, to a lot of people, comes out of nowhere. He beats Mass and Labriola back-to-back Thursday night, Friday morning. Um, you know, then he beats Massa again on the backside to make it in for third and loses to Labriola in a great match for third. Truax, seating-wise, um, and, and name recognition wise came out of nowhere on a lot of people kids been good for a while if you go back and watch uww juniors from the fall um he won and he smashed everybody so that's another kid that is in that 
in that media market or lack thereof out West, right? Cal Poly, not a program you see on TV and whatnot a ton. Um, Truax is tough, man. And he looked really good. And I think Cerritos and, and Christian Uma and those guys out there, Cal Poly, I think that's going to be indicative of more to come. Past that, nothing too, too crazy, honestly. I thought Demetrius Romero looked really good, even though he ended up sixth. I thought Romero showed why he wasn't some – throwaway two seed right I thought Romero competed in a way that showed and validated him being the two seed right so okay Carter beats him he makes the and then Carter makes the finals and wins um but I thought Romero wrestled really really well Labriola is exactly who we knew he was he takes third Truex takes fourth uh Logan Massa wrestled well you know he takes fifth but not for lack of wrestling really well uh Bullard gets on the podium and then true freshman uh Jackson Turley takes eighth First time Rutgers has ever had three All-Americans in a year. So a lot to unpack there. But generally speaking, there was there was a lot of really good wrestling at this weight. Yeah, I would say the big thing is the uh, the Big Ten log jam kind of happened. And you saw it when the top three finished. But like you said, great weight, uh, I guess, in the top five, right? We had only one guy in the top five that wasn't a Big Ten guy. So that's uh, pretty, mm -hmm. pretty big mm -hmm. there. But I guess when we're moving on into, uh, I mean, I think you kind of touched them all and hit all the points. But so when we go into uh, the 184 bracket, um, I don't know, to you, I mean, naturally that finals very anticipated for just about everyone. I think everyone was expecting to see Trent versus Aaron. Um, but what for you was the the match of the, of the bracket? Sorry, Mason, go ahead. Man, match of the bracket, it's hard. So the finals, it comes down to – it gets decided on a stall call that I think we can all agree that neither guy did a whole lot, right? Like yeah. there was very little risk taken. Trent definitely spent more time on the line. I, To me – now, did Brooks have backs? It gets reviewed at and, say, and they say no. Could have gone either way for sure. Did Trent have a takedown in the flurry at the end? Almost identical thing. So I think those calls are those calls and lack thereof are a wash. In the end, they're a wash. I think deciding that match on a stall stalling point is just bad. Um, and you know, we had touched on the singlet making a difference and everything else, but there wasn't a big enough disparity. There was barely any disparity in activity level. And with that being the case, like Trent continued to stand and present himself and, and wrestle the position. Um, yeah, a, a late stall point, you know, last minute of the match stall point, deciding and a national title is bad what's, there. What's on top of all of this, Mason? And, and this is where I'm kind of going to grind an axe here. This shit pisses me off. You know, the, the out of bounds where everyone's saying that, that Brooks grabbed the edge of the mat, Mason, obviously you're very familiar with this situation, right? Um, <laughs> you know, why in the hell were the division one level Make a bigger mat. Put it on you. the freaking stage. Why do we? Why do we limit ourselves? These dudes are huge human beings, right? You know, you combination <laughs> with one leg, and then they're trying to reach out. You got. You need an extra ten feet of mat. Why not make a bigger mat? I don't. It literally boggles my mind when you're okay. Maybe at the high school level or at some local tournament, you're at the highest level of Division One wrestling. 
and you you got a mat where people are still be able to reach out onto the carpet or onto the gym floor. It's ridiculous. It is so stupid. I I'm so glad you brought that up because that's my thought. Anytime I see somebody hit the floor in a situation like that, it's like, dude, just roll another section out. That's it. That's it. Literally, like they. You know exactly, you have them. <laughs> yeah, exactly to your guy to your point. They should phys- – it should be physically impossible to get to the floor. You should not be able to do it. Mm. Dumbest, mm. just stupid. Mm. Um, but past those guys – and again, this is not a shot at Brooks. Love watching Brooks wrestle. Nothing but respect for the dude. And the kid seems to compose himself very, very well. How one grabs the mat and doesn't get pointed for it, I will never understand. Nope. On national TV, and it got reviewed, but whatever. So past that, I thought Kekison, the UNI freshman – Looked awesome. That's another dude. Would pay good money to see him wrestle every day. Yeah. Uh, Paul's Nancy. Yeah. Paul's Nancy had a Rutgers same boat. He wrestled awesome. And I thought Poznanski wrestled back to back matches that were maybe match of the tournament material. His quarter against the Prey and a semi against Hydley. Both of them were wire to wire. And the Hydley one didn't have a ton of points, but it was just a barn burner front to back. Uh, the one with the prey had more points, comes down to a huge flurry at the end. Um, that kid's fun to watch. He ends up fourth at 84 as a true freshman, which is just, it, it hurts my brain to think about. Um, you know, and just the, the gauge for how good this weight is, is Hunter Boland finishes seventh, right? Like Boland and Dupre, which easily could have been a final, they wrestle for seventh. Yeah. <laughs> it's outrageous. Yeah. This it's, way young, it's a young close. bracket too, man. Young mm-hmm. weight. Because Kekkeisen was uh, – what year is Kekkeisen? Redshirt freshman. Redshirt freshman, yeah. Red shirt freshman. yeah. He's a freshman too. Jeez. That's a lot of heat in this bracket. Yeah, and, you know, Dakota Gear finds himself on the podium. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, local boy, not far from you, actually, Mason. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and he finds himself on the podium for Oklahoma State. Moving on to another electric weight class, 197 pounds, our second-to-last weight class. Another weight class that kind of just got blown up. I mean, Miles Amin loses to what becomes the lightning rod of the tournament. AJ Ferrari <laughs> goes all the way to the finals, and, and the you know the other side of the bracket completely blown up by the likes of Jake Woodley and Michael Beard. Um, pretty wild stuff, really. Uh, you know, Nino faces AJ in the final. AJ Ferrari in the final. Man, that kid. He's his, and you say this term all the time, Mason. That kid is as advertised. He might be, you know, what he is, and, and kind of just a goofball, and, and it plays a different persona. But man, he's not joking when he says he's two twenty five and can do a split. He's real deal. No, he's he's a freak. Um, and you know his his interview stuff. Everybody's got their thing, right? Like the kid is not short on personality. But at the end of the day, I, I think, and I have to remind myself of this. Um, don't get me wrong. I will stand by some of the stuff he says is cringy, but he's an 18, 19-year-old kid. He is, He's consistent, and he's genuine, and he's excited. Um, and, he, again, at the end of the day, he's a kid, right? So, I mean, God knows what my 19-year-old self would have said, right, in those situations, so right? So yeah, you're, you're just so excited and everything. Um, and if I could deadlift 665, I'd probably drop it on TV too. So <laughs> he just looked unbelievable. I thought he just looked too powerful for Nino. 
and it's um, it's pretty much. he just went yeah he he went through Nino's like through everything his head his hands his body and just ran Nino over um it just looked like he and maybe it's one of those things too that Ferrari's a guy you got to get a feel for too because that that pop and that power it that weight is so rare uh but the bracket getting blown apart down low man the thing there is schultz getting decked first round through a wrench into the whole thing because schultz was mr consistent all year long right he loses to a mean okay i mean top five guy in the world this is understandable right. and 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 back to ferrari real quick props to him for beating him mm-hmm. i i a thousand percent size comes into that i, I thought size came into it but that doesn't change the fact that that's a 19, 20-year-old kid that beat a top-five guy on the planet. Yeah. Um, amazing. And, and Amin, wrestling with one eye, too, looked awesome. But <laughs> no, so that kid, Pence, the kid from North Dakota State, Pence, right. freaking fat man rolls and Dex Schultz. And watching <laughs> it live, literally out loud, was like, that just screwed that whole bracket up. Because Schultz, to me, was – the clear favorite on the bottom. I had actually picked Nino to come out of it, but every then, then everything falls apart, right? You know, Nino and Norfleet, they do their jobs. They wrestle, Nino wins. But Woodley, who should have never met a 26, but Woodley's the 26. He beats Elam right away, who then drops down and digs all the way back to All-American. Uh, Caffey, I mean, Caffey, Elam, and Woodley were in the same co- in, in, in the same uh round of 16 right like they were all in the same grouping beard like you guys said beard makes the quarters and then the podium jake woodley looked awesome there's another whippeal kid right yet an all whippeal semis with woodley and bono um jake looked great uh kind of a another example of you've seen flashes in his time in norman but he looked like the guy we thought he could be um other than that, I mean, we've mentioned him a bunch, but Nino's awesome. He shoots a million times a match. I would be curious to see or to have heard the conversation go into the Ferrari match for Nino. It was very clear that he didn't pull the trigger the way he normally does. Um, I have to believe that's intentional to not try to put yourself underneath of somebody like Ferrari too much. Right. He's too big, too powerful, and with a reshot like that, you can't just shoot like crazy. Right. Um, but now hindsight, you know, knowing what we know now, right, is he better off to go shoot the 30 times he normally does and get what we get? I hope we see it again. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> oh, I'm sure we will. They're, those two are too good not well, to. So the, the word on the street is, though, Ferrari's going up to heavy, right? I hope so. Oh, man. Oh, man. That's you a good way to that lead that right table. into it. Oh, man. Let's, read, let's lead right into it, and this will kind of wrap up our conversation for the night, man. Uh, guys, Gable is a different human being, right? And, and let's preface this all by saying he just won his first national title, okay? He won his first national title, which a lot of people don't forget. He's been wrestling for a long time. He just just wrestles at a different level and and, and really impressive. Mason Perez did not back down from him in the in the finals. Mm-mm. Those two they paced with each other. I love that. But Gable is just on a different level, and um, you know I'm curious to hear your thoughts on Gable there, uh, Mason. He's amazing. He's the most gifted heavyweight I've ever seen. Absolutely. Um, and it's not close. I mean, the backflip itself, 
to be able at the top of your flip his head it's got to be three at least three if not four feet off the mat right yeah so just raw athleticism wise and you combine that with how fast he is he does things i mean we've legitimately we've never seen a heavyweight that size do the things he does you had you we've had mcmullen we've had snyder we've had guys who were light heavyweights that could really move but a guy that's as big as gable that's that athletic and to be honest with you McMullen and Snyder weren't as athletic. They didn't, they weren't, they flat out, they weren't as fast. They did not move laterally as well. Um, and that's not a shot at them. Gable is, is just amazing. Um, he scored when he decides to score, he scores. When he decides things are over, they're over. He, he's playing a totally different game than everybody else. It's amazing to watch. Um, I struggle. I really struggle to think he's not going to be the guy in Tokyo. I, I just can't. I love Wiz. I, I I think that weight at the trials is full of extremely good guys, but I think Gable's got to be the guy. Um, and it's crazy because this weight has, what, it's like four or five world medalists in it, plus Cassiope, who's won Pan Ams twice. Like Gable, Paris, Kirk Fleet, um, I want to say it's Hilger and Wood have all won world medals at one point or another i know I'm, there's at least four i think five of them or elam i'm sorry it's elam not hilger so you have five guys who've won world medals plus cassiope who has won pan ams twice and gable just walks it's the deepest weight in the ncaa and he just smashed everybody um which into the conversation that's going on right now in the greater wrestling world love spencer lee gable i i think gable's the hodge just because of that, like to just bury the field in a place where you literally four other world medalists are in the field and you buried everybody. Dude, it's hard to put into words how good he really is and how good he looked in this particular tournament. And, you know, people get mad and people on wrestling t Twitter get upset. I listen to him on the Bash Mania podcast. People don't understand, like, it's just he's just doing it to get a reaction. Like he doesn't care. Oh, like, 100%. You know, and, and I love that. And that's what wrestling needs. We need these type of characters to bring these people in to watch these this type of stuff. And, and I just think, you know, all your points are pretty much echoed by me and Mark. Uh, do you have anything to add uh with I, what Mason said? Oh, so I would say that the crazy thing for me about the heavyweight class in general is that if Gable didn't exist. Imagine what we would be saying about Mason Paris. I mean, he yeah. pinned this guy. He pinned this guy in the semis. He is a freak of nature. We may have never seen a heavyweight like Mason Paris before, but it mm -hmm. just doesn't matter because Gable exists. And wow, what, <laughs> what a specimen! But uh, when it comes to the Hodge, it, I really worry that they will go with Spencer again because of six and seven on the uh on the old criteria right mm -hmm. uh gable's a heel and we know gable's a heel but that doesn't make him look like a good citizen or uh, a good sport right um uh, and then the heart no no acls and still uh getting it done is pretty darn impressive but yeah. uh it's hard to argue and, and past credentials are right i mean that goes probably to spencer when it's all said and done uh number of pins they're tied on so dominance goes to spencer too in terms of bonus points so uh but at the end of the day i do think that uh 
I don't know, Gable, like that, it's hard to argue his uh, quality of competition doesn't right, raise it up to where to him being Hodge. Yeah. yeah, and, and, oh, yeah Donnie. Yeah, go ahead, Mason, and then I'll, I'll kind of close her out. No, I was just going to say that I, I was having this, a conversation about this exact topic with uh, a friend of mine, you know, who was a, was a Greco World Olympic team alternate and everything. And the guy that really gets lost is Cassiope. Yeah, Cassiope would be the guy with any other crop of heavyweights. He would be the guy, right? And Cassiope just kind of hums right along through it. Um, you know, I want to say he beats Schultz. Yeah, he beats Schultz twice in a weekend. You know, and Schultz is a guy that's made a senior world team, if not yeah. two of them. Yeah. So Cass just gets completely overshadowed to your point by Paris, who is a freakazoid. And he's a cheat code in and of himself. And then there's Gable, who is some combination of a cheat code and a, and a created character and God knows what else, right? So Cassie, like the fact that Cassiope is literally forgotten about and it's just a complete afterthought in all this, or, you know, drill down and look at guys like Orndorff, Jordan Wood, you know, who didn't place. Like these guys who, like Jordan Wood took fourth two years ago. And, yeah. and granted, I don't think he looked quite like the same guy for one reason or another, whatever that may be. But regardless, that's a guy that took fourth two years ago, yeah. and you're looking at him as a as a as a depth guy, as your six to twelve guy, not as a top four guy, right? So that speaks how much this weight class has changed, and to how just genuinely those top two are so untouchable to the rest of the field. Yeah, there's definitely clear separation. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Mason is uh, at a level, and then Gable is at a different level. And, and it's so crazy to see. Um, but, man, there's no better time to be than right now as a wrestling fan. And, you know, I, I'm going to start closing down this, this uh, episode. But thank you guys so much for listening again to another edition of Near Falls with D-Hall. We're going to have more content for you guys. Um, be on the lookout. Uh, next week is actually um, Jared King is coming out next week. His his episode, um, his story is coming out next week. So be on the lookout for that. Super excited. And, uh, you know, we'll just keep on turning along as, uh, you know, Olympic trials are real close. So tune in again next week to another edition of Near Falls with D-Hall, a wrestling podcast. Thanks, guys.